Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chen, and I'm a partner with Ready and Newman. I'll be conducting the conference today. Um, there should be a link to um, a Google sheet in the a Google form in the chat. And if you have a question, you can fill it out there, and we will be calling on people in order um, those questions. Shri, can you start our first question? Yes, Amruta. Hello. Hi. Go ahead. Hi, um, I posted my questions in the link. Mm-hmm. I'm on F1 STEM OPT and my unemployment days are starting in two weeks. And I want to know if I can apply for change of status from F1 to H4 and still stay in US when application is pending. Yes, yeah, that's fine. So um, if you don't have, um, do you have any other possible or potential job offers lined up? No, I, I'm still looking for the job opportunity. I have 90 days of time. Right, yeah. So you do have a certain amount of allowed unemployment time um, between STEM and regular OPT. Um, but if you um, are nearing the end of that potential, you know, that allowed unemployment time and you don't have a job offer yet, then yeah, I definitely would recommend filing a change of status application to H4 um, before you reach, use up that unemployment time. And uh, once it's filed, you can remain in the U.S. while it's pending. It will probably take at least, I would say, five to six months to process, but you can remain in the U.S. while it's pending. Okay. And can I apply, can I wait till like last few days to apply for it? Is, Is that okay? Yes, technically you can. Um, I would say if you're going to wait till the last few days, it is probably best to file it online, which you can do. If you file it on your own, you can submit the I-539 application online. Um, That is preferable in kind of um, a limited time because you'll get the receipt notice electronically right away if you file it online. If you are filing through an attorney, then an attorney can only file by mail for you. And then the receipt notice will only come by mail. So in that situation, if you decide to use an attorney for the I-539 application, I would recommend probably getting the preparation and filing it at least two weeks before to give more time to make sure it gets filed properly. Okay, one other thing is my passport is expiring in uh, March 2023, and if I decide to apply for H4 before that, um, if you mean 2024, sorry, yeah, 2024, and if I apply for passport renewal now, uh, can I use the current passport for applying COS? Yes, you can. 
in case if passport doesn't come quickly? Yeah, so you only need to provide a copy of your passport to attach with the I-539 application. So make sure you make a copy or photo of it before sending in the passport for renewal. Um, but yeah, you can apply for the I-539 along with, with the current with, passport. Yeah, yeah, with the current passport that's expiring soon. Cool, thank you. Sure. Go ahead. Um. Hi, Attorney Chen. I've posted my question on the Google right. forum. Okay, yes. Um, so for your situation, it does depend quite a bit on the specific um, citation under state law. So it's probably not something I could get into in too much detail on this kind of call because um, sort of the the immigration consequences of any um, arrests or charges or anything like that. Um, it depends a lot on kind of the state-by-state -state, um, law and what the maximum penalty is for it. So we would need to look into that a little more closely. So I would probably recommend for your situation to book a consultation with uh, an attorney um, to discuss individually. Right. And since I'd mentioned yes the first time and no, I, I was able to successfully come here with a stamping uh, seven years back, should I be consistent with the answer? Yes. Or since uh, it was, you know, uh, reduced to infraction, should I mention no? Um, let's see if it was reduced. If you were ever arrested or convicted, I'm, I would say it's still best to answer yes. Um, for any questions okay. like that in the future, even if the charges were later dismissed, expunged, anything like that. Because for immigration okay. purposes, um, even if in the criminal proceedings or criminal attorney tells you it's dismissed, it's expunged, it's like it never happened. For immigration purposes, um, it's still there and they still want it to be disclosed. So just to avoid the appearance that you're trying to conceal or hide anything, it's right. best to answer yes. And then when you provide the details, it should still be fine for your immigration status. Right. If you still got the visa stamp, then it sounds like it was not serious right. enough to, you know, right. affect your no, I was technically never arrested, arrested. It was just cited okay. for it. And then, then, you know, those charges were reduced to infraction. So, um, okay. So I think I should just mention yes, if I from what I what you I'm that's what I'm gathering, right? Yes, I would. Mm -hmm. Okay, All right. Thank you. Rumpa Banerjee, Rumpa. Hi. Yes. Hi. So this, yeah. So for this is for my spouses DS one sixty, followed mm -hmm. to join application, and uh, so the I received a letter from NVC that they ask for police records and court records. Mm -hmm. So police record, um, uh, I'm trying to arrange from my home, home country, but court records, since there was no uh, ever any court cases, so how do I respond to that? Um, so usually the visa reciprocity table, there's a, if you Google visa reciprocity table and the website for the U.S. State Department should come up on there, if you select India, then... Mm -hmm there is kind of a, a list down there of what the government would want for um, the type of document to submit for an Indian birth certificate, an Indian marriage certificate, and uh, death right. certificate, all those things, including police certificates and any court records. 
So I definitely check that website and see specifically what they, what that website says is needed for mm -hmm. any court records. Did you already look there? Yes, I already did. Okay. And it says like varies by uh, uh, authority for the court record. For the police record, uh -huh. they are uh, pretty specific. But the court record, this is varied by uh, uh, like authority. And when I reach to my home country, they are asking for court record number, case number, which I don't have. So how should I respond to that? My understanding is that if you don't have any court records, then you could, when you're submitting the documents to the NBC, you can just state that there are no court records for, you know, your, for your spouse in India, because, if, you know, you don't have a case number to provide, then I guess the courts can't provide any records. I am not sure if there is something like a, um, a document that the court system can provide that confirms that there's no court case for such and such individual. Um, actually, I would probably recommend um, if you can join tomorrow or on one of the days that Rahul is here. Rahul is um, a lawyer in India also, so he would be able to probably provide more um, specific information on if there is a document like that that you can request um, or if you even need to get anything if there's no court case. Okay, sure, I will join tomorrow. Thank you. Sure. Hello, hi, attorney. Uh, hi. I, I have uh, shared my question in the Google form. Mm -hmm. um, okay, let's see. Do you know was the... um. So the transfer application, um, was it filed in regular processing? Yeah, it was processed in regular processing. And okay. uh, yeah. And it's been, you said about 30 days now since it was filed? Yeah, it was filed uh, on October 13th. And uh, it was my 51st of uh, layoff day. Uh, right. So I've joined new... Uh, new employer B upon FedEx receipt. So I have started. Okay. Um, yeah, sometimes for regular processing, the only way, well, the only way the receipt notices comes for regular processing cases is they come in the mail only. So sometimes we do notice there's a delay in the mail in it, but usually it comes within two to three weeks. I would say it's pretty normal for the receipt notices. Um, if you can check with your employer, the one who filed the H-1B transfer, or have them check with their attorney to look into, you know, maybe double check to make sure whether they received it because a copy of the receipt notice is supposed to go to the company and one copy should go to the attorney. Um, so if something got mailed incorrectly for one of them, maybe the other one got the receipt notice copy. If neither of them received it, I would probably, what our office normally does when we haven't gotten a receipt notice for a long time, um, what we can do is check the bank records of the filing fee check that was submitted with the application. If the bank records show that that filing fee check has been cashed, then we know that it was considered received because USCIS won't cash that check unless they are um, receiving the case, like it's considered filed. 
So if that filing fee check is cached, um, even sometimes on the back of the cached check image, if there's an image of it from the bank, the receipt number will be printed on the back of the cashed check. So that's one way we have used to get a receipt number, at least if the receipt notice hasn't come in yet. Um, but that will probably depend on, you know, the company or the attorney checking their bank records, whoever um, issued the check. Okay, like basically if I, uh, like I have good offers in my hand right now. So if I need to do a uh, transfer, uh, like, join employer C, do I need to wait for receipt notice of employer B? Yeah, I would say so. I would say you probably, you may need to wait for the approval of this employer B application before you can transfer to employer C. If you had the employer C offer within the initial 60 days of your grace period, then you can, you don't need to wait for a receipt notice or an approval notice with employer B. If it's still within the 60 day grace period, employer C could file another application for you and it's not a problem. But because at this time you're past, um, you're past the 60 days, right? That would have been you know, before October. Since you're past the 60 days, then you're only authorization to be in the U.S. and work right now is the pending employer B application. So that does need to get approved, I would say, before employer C can transfer your application. Okay. And meanwhile, uh, uh, so if the bank uh, cash doesn't happen, does it mean like I will be out of status or how would it be? Potentially. If for some reason the filing fee check shows that it's not cashed, then that usually means, I mean, that means that USCIS didn't consider it filed yet. Most likely that means the package was sent to the wrong USCIS address, for example, or or there FedEx, was like a signature mating. Sorry? FedEx uh, track shipment says that it has been delivered to the right address. Okay. I have the receipt that has been delivered successfully. Yeah, and it may be possible that the wrong filing fee amount was submitted or a signature was missing from one of the forms or a page was missing from one of the forms. There's a lot of reasons that can cause a properly delivered application to be rejected by USCIS if you know certain things are missing. And in that situation, USCIS won't cash the filing fee checks. They'll send back the whole package, but it can take them several weeks sometimes to send back that whole package. So you may not know until about a month later when you get that package back in the mail. Okay, so <laughs> if it happened, then I will be out of status? Yes, technically I would say since it's past the 60 days and the transfer application has not been properly filed, you would be considered out of status. However, if that is the case, I would definitely have employer B refile as soon as possible and include an argument in their application that explains that they tried to file an application on time. It was rejected, you know, um, inadvertently because of such and such error and requests that USCIS excuse the late filing. Um, if they include that argument, then I would say there's a pretty good chance USCIS will excuse it if you know, because it wasn't your fault. It would have been something missing from the application that was the employer or the attorney's fault. So, um, and because it hasn't been that long yet since the end of the 60 days, I would say there's a good chance that they can still accept it if they refile quickly and include the request to excuse with the, you know, explanation of why um, it was rejected. 
Okay, sorry, we'll have to go on to the next question. Pradeep? Yeah, hi. hi. Uh, yeah, updated my question in the mm -hmm. chat. Um, let's see. So when you, okay, the H4 and EAD aren't adjudicated yet. Technically, um, do you have the receipt notices for the H4 and I-765 application? Yeah, I have them. Okay. Um, yeah, it is pretty difficult to follow up with USCIS um, for a regular processing case, but they were filed all together and they were filed in premium processing. Yep. Yeah, they are upgraded to premium processing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, unfortunately, the fastest way usually to get an update on a case is to contact the premium processing unit, but because the premium processing technically only applies to the H-1B, only your company or the attorney can contact the premium processing unit. For the H-4 or EAD, your only options are to either try an online request, which it probably won't allow you to submit right now if you know, they say it's within normal processing times, or you can try calling the USCIS customer service line, that 1-800 number. Um, they are usually not very helpful um, on those calls, but sometimes it really depends on who you happen to get on the phone. Sometimes there is a, an officer who is actually helpful and can, you know, check on the case status and let you know. Um, but yeah, I would say those are probably your only options for checking on the case status independently of your company or their attorney. Um, and then I know you've asked about the um, traveling to Mexico potentially to, to extend continue. the H4. Yeah, to, to, to continue working, right, for H4EAD. Mm -hmm. Can we do that? Yes. Yeah, so that is an option. We have um, videos on our website, on our YouTube, um, about that exact scenario. Um, it will mainly require... So does your wife... Um, Let's see. Okay, so she probably doesn't. So she has an expired H four visa stamp, most likely. No, um, no she has a, a stamp for until December twenty ninth. Oh, okay. Yeah, then yeah, then she can travel on her own. You don't even need to accompany her in that situation. Usually, if, her, if she had an expired H four visa stamp, you would need to travel with her. But. Um, in this situation, so, if she goes and comes back before her H-4 visa stamp expires in December, so she goes to Mexico, um, comes back with her H-4 visa stamp that is unexpired, okay. plus your most recent H-1B approval notice okay. that should be valid until 2026 or 2027, okay. potentially, um, and your marriage certificate, then when she comes back in, that will the I-94 that CBP will grant her should have the end date matching to your H-1B extended end date, and that will give her the EAD auto extension. I, I don't, I do not need to file the H-4 EAD again, right? Once she's back or do I need no. to? No, you don't. Yeah. yeah. So her EAD will continue processing and it can still be approved, but then at least with the extended electronic I-94, um, that will make her eligible for the EAD auto extension of 180 days. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Rajan. Uh, hi, attorney. Uh, I have a similar yeah. question. Uh, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my, so my H-1B uh, was filed in premium processing extension. Same for, uh, for my wife and the H-4 EAD as well. 
So my H1 was uh, approved within five days, but it's been 28 days. But the, the remaining two petitions, the 539 and the 765 are pending. And yeah. we, ra we raised the request with the, the Nebraska Service Center through the employer, but they've not responded at all, apparently. And lawyer is being unresponsive to my queries. So what are my options? Yeah, so it will be pretty similar to what I mentioned to the um, to the previous caller about um, beyond just trying the 1-800 number. Um, unfortunately, that's those are kind of the only options available for the H-4 applicant on their own. Um, let's see. Yeah, I am hoping this is not a trend because ever since the change in USCIS policy, for the most part, we've been seeing H-1B, H-4s, and EADs being approved all at the same time if they were filed together. But um, yeah, it does sound like we're hearing more cases of here and there where it's yeah, not so, happening. So the Nebraska Center acknowledged the receipt of the uh, the query inquiry, but they have not responded. Like generally, how long does it take for them to respond? A long time. Um, normally, when we put in an e-request with any of the service centers, they will give a target date for a response, which is usually about 30 days from when we are calling, a lot of times we hear nothing by that target date. And then we put in another request and they give a new target date 30 days out. Sometimes, you know, that target date passes like three or four times and we don't hear anything. Um, and it's just a matter of continuing to follow up. Um, yeah, so it is quite difficult, unfortunately, um, for for something that, for whatever reason, it seems like they've put the H4 and EAD in regular processing. Um, and there, yeah, there aren't that many good options for following up on it in that situation. Um, I don't know if your wife has the ability to travel, um, if the kind of scenario that I was discussing with the previous gentleman might be an option for her to at least get um, the EAD auto extended. Uh, no, this was the first uh, EAD that we filed. Oh, I see, okay. Yeah. Uh, also, like, uh, is the policy has it the policy been formalized in terms of like, is there a uh, like a uh, document that we can quote uh, to the helpline? Because uh, we called the helpline and they are like, uh, we are not aware of any such policy. That's what uh, I've been told. It yeah, it has been uh, a policy ever since the litigation that was kind of settled. Uh, you know, over a year ago now. Um, I. Don't know the citation exactly, but um, it probably is somewhere on USCIS's website. If you go to our website and go to the blog and uh, do a search for H4 and EADs, I'm sure our office at some point posted, you know, an article about it on our website announcing it because it was a big development at the time. And so our article most likely, you know, references the government. Hey, that yeah, that's the Edakuni versus Mayorkas uh, settlement. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Sure. Lokesh. Hi. Hi, Attorney Chen. So, hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, so, I'm currently on a J1. I'm currently on an academic training period right now. Uh, uh, right now, I'm working for an organization. So, I'm so mine is ending on in the Feb in February of twenty third. So in order to extend it, uh, I've 
I'm planning to get into a CPT. I actually got accepted to a university. So I want to do a change of status right now from J1 to F1. So can you tell me what's the best option I can do for that? Um, I haven't dealt very much with a J1 to F1 change of status specifically, um, but so you're not subject to the two-year residency requirement? No, I'm not. No, that's okay. waived. Okay. Yeah, as long as there isn't the two-year residency to waiver that has to be obtained, um, it should be similar to any other change of status where your main options are to file the I-539 application to request the change of status within the U.S., or going to the consulate and getting an F-1 visa there. Um, in general, I we usually recommend going the route of filing the I-539 if there isn't some reason you need to travel uh, in the near future. Um, the benefit now with the I-539 filing within the U.S. is that there's also a premium processing option. So whereas it used to take like eight to 12 months to get the I-539 decision, um, with the premium processing, which is $1,500 um, for F1 applicants, you'll get a decision within 30 days of the biometrics being taken. Um, so that can also give you a bit more certainty um, of you know, whether it goes through for your planning purposes. Um, let's see. In general, so if you've listened to our um, videos or these conferences in the past, you may be aware that we generally kind of caution about day one CPT programs because we have seen people run into problems uh, with them later, not with the programs specifically, but with immigration agencies later if they see use of day one CPT on the record. Okay. And do you recommend, can I apply for the I-539 myself or should it, do you think I should get an attorney for it? To do um, yeah, a lot of people apply for it themselves that can be filed online. Um, if you would like to go through an attorney, you could also do that, um, but it would need to, um, yeah, be filed through the mail. So I would just start the process a bit earlier if you're going to go through an attorney. Okay, but uh, online, I can do it on my own if everything is proper, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Vira Manish. Hey, hi, Rebecca. Hi. Uh, it's been two weeks I lost my job. Uh, can I and my wife apply for B2 visa through I-539 form to increase yep. the grace period? Right. Yeah. So um, you were on H1B, is that right? Yes, I'm on H1B. Okay. And but I lost my job uh, two weeks back. Is your I-94 still valid beyond like the next two months? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, then in that case, um, you have a 60-day grace period um, starting from your last date of employment, so yeah. um, you don't necessarily need to file the B-2 change of status right now um, if uh -huh. you are kind of job searching and, um, you know, if there's a job offer that comes up and they're willing to do your H-1B transfer in the next, you know, one month or so then yeah. they can just directly file the H-1B transfer for you. And then you wouldn't yeah. need to go through the B-2 application at all. Um, you could, if you want to right now, go ahead and file the B-2, but 
I would say it's probably also fine to maybe wait until next month, maybe closer okay. to like the 40th day of probably like reassess around day 30 or 40 of the grace period. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't seem like um, there, it's likely that there's, you know, a H1B transfer that will be filed in the next one month, then you can go ahead and do the B2 process um, at that time. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's a matter of just filing the I-539. Um, again, you can file it online. Um, yeah. If it if is with my wife also, then I have to do it uh, by mail, I guess. Yeah, so if you want to um, file just one application that includes both of you, you will have to send it by mail. Okay, but we both can apply separately. Uh, she is on uh, H4EAD and she, her visa is got stamped and it is valid till yeah. 2025. Yeah, so if you file online, you will each need to submit your own application and pay the fee separately. So yeah. it is a bit more cost-effective to file it together by mail. Okay. Okay, and uh, one more question is, uh, if I got a job uh, and in this grace period of 60 days, and if it is on RFE, can I still stay in America? Yes, so as long as the transfer is filed within the 60-day grace period, then if the application remains pending beyond the end of the 60 days, you're authorized to remain in the U.S. and you can continue working for that company. Um, okay. So pending includes, you know, there being an RFE and the RFE response, all of that. Um, if the application is denied for some reason after the end of the 60-day grace period, then um, you would be considered out of status at that time. So you would need to potentially, you know, make plans to depart the U.S. pretty quickly or have another application filed if there is time for that, although by that time you'll be depending on kind of um, a late filing. Okay. Okay. Got it. Thank you, Rebecca. Sure. Hey, hi. Uh, hi. I actually submitted my question on the Google mm -hmm. Sheets. Uh, but the information I I mean I didn't furnish there yet is that I I have I one forty so I think I'm a lottery exempt. Uh, so in this case, uh, my last working day is actually end of this year, but in the sixty day grace period, uh, I heard that my H one B can be filed even later if I am able to get a job on H four EAD. Is that I just want to validate uh, that assumption. Sorry, you're, what can be filed later if you move to H four EAD? If my H one B, if 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 I can move to H four EAD, my wife has H one B. If I based on her H one B, if I get a H four EAD and get right. a job based mm -hmm. on that, and the employer is willing to file H one B, can it? Uh, it can be filed even like you know, few months down the line, uh, because it is uh, lottery exempt. Because I have I one forty. Yes, that's fine. Yeah, if you switch to H4 EAD and in the future want to switch back to H1B, um, then yeah, yep. it, the employer at that time, it, yeah, since you've been selected in the lottery once, you never have to go through the lottery again. But um, okay. I mean, if if you have the H4 EAD, that is more flexible really than the H1B. I wouldn't necessarily be in a rush to get back on H1B unless... Um, you know, your wife's H-1B job looks like it may 
be ending or, you know, something like that. But um, there isn't, you know, a requirement necessarily that you be on the H-1B for a certain amount of time. The H-4 EAD is a lot more flexible. You can work for multiple employers. You can um, move locations easily without the need for an amendment. Um, yeah, so there isn't necessarily a rush to move back to H-1B, but you definitely can in the future. Okay, but also if uh, for the change of status, or if I want to move to H-4 on my wife's mm -hmm. H-1B, mm -hmm. I don't need to step out of US, right? Is it valid? Is it a no. right as Okay, right. and also I can yeah. file for a premium option, premium processing option for EAD application on that H-4? The only um, possible way for the EAD to be kind of premium processed is if your if it is filed along with your H-4 and your wife's H-1B application all at the same time. Um, oh. Is your wife's H-1B due for an extension anytime soon? Uh I don't think so. At least not till end of next year. No. Okay. Yeah. It is a bit difficult because, um, like I said, the only way for the H4 and EAD to be kind of premium processed is if they're submitted at the same time as an H1B application that is being premium processed. Um, yeah. So it sounds like if your wife's H1B is valid until end of 2024, most likely her employer won't want to do her extension until like June 2024 at the earliest. So that's a bit too late. Um, so in your case, I would probably recommend that you go ahead and maybe file for the H-4 and EAD right now. You don't have to wait until, you know, your job, your H-1B job has ended. Um, you can file the H-4 change of status concurrently with the EAD application right now. Those will be pending. And while they're pending, you can still be working for your H-1B job because until they're approved, technically you're still in H-1B status. Um, you can keep working through end of December for your H-1B employer. And then the H-4 and EAD probably won't be approved by the end of December, even if you file them right now, because with regular processing, they're taking typically, I would say, at least three months. Um, but at least it will, you know, it will hopefully be approved um, quickly so that the gap in your employment authorization isn't too long. Okay. I mean, that, that sounds really good, but I can hold H4 EAD and H1B at the same time. I don't think so, right? You cannot have both. You H1B can't hold both at the same time. H4. Yeah. So oh, like okay. I said, when you file the H4 and EAD applications, they'll just be processing until they're approved. You're not in H4 status yet. They're just filed and pending. So you can file. After they're the, approved. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, once the H-4 application approved. is approved, that will change your status. Yeah. From the day of approval, your status will change from H-1B to H-4. And if I want to switch back to H-1B again, I have to apply for something, I guess. Right? Yeah, uh, the H-1B employer will then need to file a change of status for you from H-4 to H-1B. Ah, uh, okay. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Thanks. Um, I'll try to finish the last few questions we have kind of quickly um, since we only have a couple more. Um, let's see, Ram, Adam, is still here? Okay, we can go on to Mahesh. Hi. Hi. Go oh, oh, hi. 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 Sorry. Uh, this is Ram. I'm sorry for, yeah, I just unmute my. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, actually, I got a very situation, very bad situation. Uh, recently, I'm graduated on August 31st. And, um, 
before that i was in india so i my dad was passed away so i came back uh, september 1st and uh, i after in a week i was hospitalized uh, mentally disturbed because of my dad and i couldn't uh, apply for my opt and uh, so i got a new i20 from a different school i i'm out of status right now and uh, uh, i have a question here like and uh, can i go to the mexico and come back here and uh, that's one and um, uh, next question is i got a new i20 from a different school my service record is transferred to the second school and they are saying that um they cannot go for reinstatement within the country i am planning to go for reinstatement within the country and um um i don't know what should i do right now yeah so it does sound pretty complicated um we may not have time to address it here in this conference um i would recommend so actually our office sometime this month i don't remember the exact date but um Emily Newman and uh, Felipe Menez, two of the attorneys in our office, are doing a free webinar this month on F1 student issues specifically. So they will probably cover, um, you know, reinstatement and the uh, choices you have when you are no longer in the service system and what you can do. So I would definitely recommend registering for that webinar and, um, you know, listening to the advice they have on there and they usually take questions at the end. So I would definitely join that one. We probably don't have time to get into it here today. Okay, sure. And Sorry, can yeah. I go, is there any chance like a um, uh, premium process for service or reinstatement? Not for service reinstatement, as far as I know. The I-539 premium processing for F1s, as far as I know, is only for change of status and for OPT. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. thank you. Sure. Uh, Mahesh? Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, I have like uh, approved uh, I-140 and also like GCAD. Uh, my wife, she's trying to uh, uh, switch her current H-1B to H-4EAD and uh, uh, due to job loss. What do you recommend? Like, do you recommend using uh, converting to H-4 and EAD or uh, GCAD in the current situation? So she has her GCEAD also, right? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is there um, like a particular reason that she's maintaining the H1B or H4? Do you have like a child that is nearing the age of 21 who also has uh, the... No, like, uh, uh, like she got her like, H1 last year, uh, just like uh, uh, through CAP, but, uh, uh, but she, she got a like a... For some reason, we want to take a break from the employment, so we want to switch. What is the recommended option? Like H four, yeah. then mm -hmm. it's really not necessary for her to remain in H one B or H four. Yeah, because based on the pending I four eight five application, that authorizes her to remain in the U S. And then the EAD, the GC EAD, authorizes her to work if she wants to. So. With the GCEAD, she can work, but she doesn't have to. So if her plan is to kind of take a break, then I would recommend, you know, then you don't have to file anything at all. It's already there. The I-485 is already filed. The GCEAD is already there for when she is ready to go back to work. 
it doesn't require filing an H4 or EAD application at all. So, so basically, the her like uh, GCAD is based on my spouse uh, dependent, right? So, uh, to be on the safer side, uh, can we do H4 uh, apply and you know? You want to, you GC can, but mm -hmm. it's there's no risk. I would say in her just moving on to the GCAD and then working or not working is fine. Um, but if she wants to change to H4 and apply for an H4 EAD, that's fine too. I would just say it's, it may not really be necessary, but there's no harm in doing that. Okay. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Sure. Um, I, hello. Uh, I'm sorry. Like one more oh. question. I used I, I used my advanced parole. Uh, is that fine, right? Like that is for your most recent entry was on advanced parole, mm -hmm. but your H1B is still valid, right? Yes. The approval notice is still valid. Yeah, then she can apply for the H four. Uh, like my me using advanced parole doesn't mean like she she can no, share. Should be fine. Uh, yeah, should be fine. Thank you. Yeah. So. Arun. Yeah. Hey Rebecca. Hi. I'm on a H one B, and my six year kind of maxes out in December. My wife used to be on H one B. But two months back, she put in an application for H4, which is still in processing. Okay. And so my labor certification is kind of delayed, right? And I have a toddler who's a special needs kid. So my labor certification is probably going to arrive after the expiry of my H1B, um, you know, six years presence. So we wanted to change over to B2 so that we could be here and, you know, she keeps receiving the specialized services. So my first question is like, um, so can, would my wife be eligible to do a change of status from H4 pending to B2 pending? Um. I believe so. Let me think. I mean, her H4, when it's approved, it will only be valid until 1218 anyway, right? Because that's only as long as your H1B is valid. That's correct. Yeah. So definitely before December 18th, both of you need to file something anyway, if you're planning to remain in the U.S. So yeah, um, even if her H4 is not approved by December 18th, I would recommend both of you, um, yeah, now since it's about one month away, go ahead and file the B2 change of status applications. So for your wife's supporting documents, she would attach a copy of the H4 receipt notice so that, um, and for her current status on the form, she can write like H4 COS pending, which means H4 change of status pending. Okay. And then in future, right, once I kind of, my um you know i40 comes in yeah i40 comes in and then we change back over so mm -hmm. at that point of time uh, do you foresee any challenges um you know because i was on a b2 and like i know on a b2 you can find a job but you can't work but if i change over do you anticipate any challenges or is this, is this kind of like a completely feasible way to go about things yeah, it should be fine. We have had other clients, you know, doing the same for a six-year limit max out situation also, even though the guidance on from USCIS on B2 was released more in the context of 
laid off H-1B workers. Um, for the most part, we've seen them be fine with the B-2 change of status in this situation also, where you're maxing out of your six years and you know waiting for the I-140 to be approved. So I don't see any issues with the change of status from B-2 back to H-1B and H-4 going through in the future. Um, yeah, that should be fine. As long as, yeah, the main requirements are that, you know, once the B-2 is filed that you, um, that you not work while you're waiting for the B-2 to be processed. Right. And even for my wife, when I kind of do move back from B-2 to H-1B again, she's going to be moving back from H-4 pending and then B-2 pending to H-4 pending. Yeah. So, yeah. Kind so of. That, that's so, but that's going to be okay. Like there's going to be a mechanism for. It should be. Yeah. Um, it is kind of, it's more pending applications than I would say are normal or typical, but it should be fine since um, UCIS has said that for, you know, B2 pending, they'll process the new application simultaneously. So basically if, for example, in February or March, if, your I-140 is approved by then and your company is ready to file your change of status back to H-1B, um, then your wife's H-4 would be approved, uh, submitted at the same time. What USCIS has said is that if there's a pending application, then they'll just take those pending applications and approve everything with the most recent application at the same time. So then they should just process everything for your wife simultaneously. Her initial H-4 approval, the B2, then her new H4 should be processed altogether. But just make sure that um, all her receipt notices are attached for all those pending applications. Right. And just so I'm kind of, because, you know, because of my toddler, you know, I, I wouldn't want to do anything which is kind of remotely thought of as in the gray, right? So this approach, in your perspective, it doesn't fall into any shade of gray, right? Because no, it should be fine. Uh, because the um, I mean, yeah, the government, you know, listed the B two. Like I said, mostly in a layoff situation, but also um, in order to you know give people who, if they don't have a job prospect and just need additional time to wrap up their affairs here, they gave that option for the B two also. Um, you can list. In the I-539 application, as the reason you're filing for the B-2, you can list your child's medical situation also and state that you're applying for this in order to remain in the U.S. to allow your child to continue receiving medical care here. And, you know, you can attach documentation of their medical condition. Um, usually anything medical related is definitely fine for B-2. It's not necessary. I would say even if you're, you know, if, if there wasn't a medical situation, filing for the B-2 and then the H-1B later would still be fine. But if you want to strengthen it with the, you know, medical records, um, I think that should right. definitely be done. So on the USCIS side, right, I see this verbiage, which kind of says that like a, you know, pending or approved I-140, even though my mine is not the case, that's not going to affect the B-2 application so long as you maintain an intent to depart after any approved temporary period of stay and continue to maintain a residence abroad, you do not intend to abandon. 
So it's the part about so long as you maintain an intent to depart. What does that mean? Basically, if for whatever reason your green card process falls through, your employer doesn't support the perm anymore, or if it gets denied or doesn't file the I-140, that basically you will in depart the U.S. before the end of the six-month B-2 period. Um, like, you don't intend to stay here indefinitely, um, okay. you know, without authorization. Okay. Sure. So this doesn't pertain to the B-2 application. This just kind of pertains to, like, them knowing that if you don't overstay your I-140 and H-1B. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was worried sure. about that. Appreciate that. Sure. Okay. So we'll need to close the conference here for today. The next one will be tomorrow at 1130 Central Time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.